Hello, welcome to Lambdaforms Radio, a podcast where I interview musicians and artists about their latest projects. My name is Ian Corey, and I am the songwriter in the band Lambdaforms. I love learning about an artist's process, their intentions, and who they are as people. If you're a longtime listener, you might already be familiar with today's guest, as he's responsible for the art that adorns each episode of Lambdaforms Radio as well as the album cover for my last record, Sisyphean. Today's guest is Joseph Clones, who is a musician in addition to being a professional graphic designer. Clones plays bass and sings in the post-hardcore band Droughts, plays guitar in the punk-punk band Mush, and earlier this year released his first solo EP of guitar-based ambient music under the name Unproductive. Over the course of our conversation, Colmes and I cover both the music and design process for each of his projects, his experience coming up in the punk scene in the suburbs of Chicago during the 2000s, and how he managed to piss off a bunch of Law Dispute fans on the internet. Thank you for listening. How have you been? It's been a while. (laughs) I haven't seen you in like four years yeah i know you moved to new york and then uh we just kept in contact and that's great but yeah living life got band stuff going on launched Mm -hmm. launched my own little solo thing have two kids now bought a house a lot of (laughs) changed changed companies and now like i work professionally for an ad agency that like is crazy yeah a lot of a lot of stuff has happened in, in the time that you've left chicago yeah i mean you're out of the city now is that right uh i'm in berwyn so i'm off i'm in the suburbs right i don't like saying that but i'm off the blue line still so we're really like uh so we lived in logan square it maybe takes like without traffic like 10 minutes to drive back to where we live um mm. so we're like not far at all and yeah, I mean, I, I, t- I take CTA to work still. So, well, I used to take CTA to work still. But yeah, I, it feels like we're still in the city. Like, Berwyn is still, it still very much feels like the city. So, it, like, that's why we chose it is because we have, like, a little bit of a backyard and things are cheaper. But it still very much feels like we're in the city. I imagine that it's a bit more conducive to staying up late making weird guitar noises which it seems like you've been doing a lot of lately too uh, yeah i could play drums in my basement and uh-huh. it's just like i like don't have to go to my practice space to be loud i mean the only people i know annoy now are like my family but like that's fine um but my daughter like plays drums with me so like like she can just go into the basement and she's getting she's gonna be four uh in june so she's like she can't reach like the bass drum or anything but like like she loves being loud and like so yeah it's like it's really nice that we're in a basement like in a house and the neighbors like have yet to complain so you know we met in chicago during like the mid 2010s so i don't know a ton about your life prior to that are you from the chicago area originally yeah, I'm uh, from the Southwest Burbs, and then okay. I moved to the city to go to college. So I've been in Chicago, living in Chicago itself since 2005, and then like bounced around a bunch, 
And then when I met my partner, we ended up moving in together in 2011 when we both graduated college. And yeah, we were there ever since until 2018 when we bought a house. Mm-hmm. So then, then we moved out of the city to the suburbs. Ugh. And so did you, when did you start playing music? Like how, how did you first start playing instruments? So the, I was um, a band, like kids that I went to high school with were in a band and they, they're like band broke up. It was called Serenity Now. It broke up and then they like two of the guys started another band and needed a bass player. And like, at this point I never played bass, but I was like, I play guitar. Bass is kind of the same thing, mm-hmm. um, which like real bassists get super pissed off when they hear people <laughs> say that. Uh, but I started playing bass in this band and then like eventually like um, we, I don't know what happened, but I ended up playing guitar and then we found a bassist. So then I switched to playing guitar and from that, that so that band lasted from 2005. We broke up in 2009 or 2000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think 2009 was our last show, um, which is funny because like looking back on that, like so Droughts has been a band for 10 years, which feels crazy. But that band was called Ferrison. We were only in a band for four years and it feels like such a long time. But through that band and Ferrison, I met will seals the guitarist in droughts because his band at the time they played a show with us and somehow and then i think our singer worked at h&m with will um and it's funny because my partner also worked at h&m which is like so she knew the singer of that band and will and all these people so like all these like pieces of my life just kind of like connected right at that point mm-hmm. but yeah we we met will and then uh i just became like really good friends with will and then that band Ferrison broke up. Will's band broke up before Ferrison broke up. So he was like, I think, oh man, this is really funny. I like forced myself into droughts because he, like we were just hanging out and I was living, I was living in Humboldt Park and I live with my really good friend, Nick, who plays guitar in droughts, who I'm friends with from high school. And then another guy that we were friends with high school with. And Will like came over, he's like, hey, I have some, like, ideas that I want to demo, and I know, like, you demo the Ferrison stuff, so can you just, like, record this stuff on GarageBand for me? I was like, sure. So he came over and, like, demoed some guitar stuff. I wonder if I still have it. That would be really fucking funny. And he, like, demoed the stuff and left, and I was like, I just turned to him, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yell over this. And he's like, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and i was like i'm gonna do it i've always wanted to like i've always wanted to like yell in a band so i'm just i'm gonna do it and i did it and it was awful and then i like sent it to him and he was like not happy about it and then i was like hey this should be it like we should we should do this he's like oh and he got like kind of like protective of it he's like oh i've been like keeping this stuff for like a project like i don't know i don't know if you're the person i want to like do this with <laughs> and i was like fair yeah okay um and then somehow somehow it's just like well we're doing this he's like okay well i have a name for this band that like i wanted to use and it's it's droughts like i already have the gmail and like all of this like other stuff where i was like that's it that this is the band like and so I just like forced my way into like his own little protective project that he was like trying to make his baby. And I was like, we're doing this. Um, 
but yeah, that's that's kind of like how I started in music and kind of where it brought me now. So what was the scene like in the southwest suburbs of Chicago when you were coming up? Shit. Uh, so my band at the time, we had aspirations to just sounding like the band Gatsby's American Dream. And or okay. uh, like there is a band Nightmare of You that we really liked. So we were just trying to do that thing for a long time. And then at some point, uh, and I will die by this claim, we started like, I at the time was listening to, like I grew up on like Converge and Norma Jean and The Bled. Like I was into like metalcore, hardcore, but also Classic like a lot of early pop punk. 2000s shit. For oh sure. yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, that was like everything I was listening to, but I also really fucking loved pop punk. So we like had these songs that were like very like saves the day esque like Gatsby's American Dream sounding things, uh, and then I was like just trying to put in like panic chords and like breakdowns, and it like I mean we were doing this in like 2006, and it like it was not very good. So it makes sense like why we didn't ever get big, but then it, like we were doing it, we were getting a little better at it, and then like a day to remember and four years strong just like took off right. and we're like the whole easy yeah we were like kind of fuck like we were doing this stuff we just like weren't good at it but like if we were good at it like we could have been a bigger band so oh that was like the scene but so there was a lot of bands that were like we played with so many metalcore bands we played with like so many i think like neon pop punk was like the thing at the time like in like 2007 yeah it was just like awful awful bands i don't uh fuck it i'll trash i'll trash people because i don't give (laughs) there were just like some bands that and it's really funny i i guess i won't name names because i don't i don't i don't want to be that person but i will elusively talk about these things uh there was a very very i would say one of the biggest pop punk bands that's currently doing it now that are people around our age that are from Chicago, their earlier bands were bands that we were like in, like we played shows with them. We knew them. We, oh fuck, I'll just say their names. The Real Friend guys are like maybe a few years younger than I am. So like their bands, we played a lot with them. And like they were the cool kids, the like the bands that were doing it in the suburbs uh there was this like our like frenemies there was this band called like kidnap and color they were just like just like everything that i hated about music they were like all into their self-image they wanted nothing more than just to be panic at the disco but like that was the scene that we were like existing in and we mm-hmm. were like weird counterculture kids who were not the cool kids we like had our friend group and that was pretty much it and we didn't like we weren't trying to write panic at the disco sounding stuff we weren't trying to like have personas and images of ourselves so like that was the chicago oh, god it was like during the fuck there's like so many things i'm remembering we came up in the time when victory records was signing all of those chicago bands so they like mm-hmm. my band existed at the same time that like the audition and academy is and like Fall Out Boy at this point was huge, but like 
victory that's was who just... I originally thought that you meant. I thought you were talking about like oh Arm no Angelus and all that sort of stuff. But I guess no. that doesn't line up time. So like Fall Out Boy was like I was still in high school. I remember I snuck away. I like lied to my parents, and we went to like um, the Knights of Columbus and in Arlington Heights to like see Fall Out Boy when they were like. I mean, at this point, they were big here. I don't know. I don't know how big they were like nationally, but they were like a really big band here at that point. Um, but like still playing like the Knights of Columbus, but there would be like two, three hundred kids trying to get into the show. But they, no, they that like predates when I like before these bands existed. At this point, like Fall Boy's huge. The audition just got signed. Like the Junior Varsity, June, like all those like pop punk bands that existed in like the 2005 era signed to victory. It was just a bunch of bands trying to like curate their personas because they were like, victory is going to sign us. So like the like funny thing and like the joke that everybody kind of made at the time is that like when you're in Chicago, like everybody knew someone who played a showcase for victory and thought they were getting signed to victory. Like that was just like, no matter who you talk to in music, they're like, oh, my buddy's band played a showcase for Victory. They're totally getting signed. And, like, it was all just, like, bullshit. Um, But, yeah, that was, like, that was the scene. There were some fucking really cool bands that, like, existed. Like, my favorite, like, local band was this band called Call the Medic. They were, like, a Circus Survive, Coheed, like, super... They were, like, doing the math rock thing before like midwestern emo math rock like really took off like 2010s like they were like 2003 2004 2005 like they were fucking doing this like cool thing there was this band called uh they were called missing autumn and then they changed their name to cabaret they were like a these arms are snakes type of like post-hardcore thing that was like so fucking cool um and i like i'm like friends with their bassist, and every time i see them i'm like reunions are in man like you guys should just do this they're my like friend Sam Edgen. You know Sam, right? Yeah. He like booked a lot of shows in Chicago. He was in this mm-hmm. punk band called Subtle for Nothing that like I really fucking liked. Um he was also in Call the Medic. Like yeah, there was like there were a lot of like really cool bands doing really cool things, but it was just like overshadowed by like all these like shitty neon pop punk bullshit. So by the time that you moved to Chicago proper, did you sense that there was like a different scene in the city versus in the suburbs? Or was there like a lot of crossover between those two things? Oh, it was so, it was so different. Um, because I remember like Ferrison, we played a lot in the suburbs and like our first city show was just like a whole different scene. Like we played Reggie's, um, Mm -hmm. for the first time. And that was like, we thought we fucking made it. We're like, we did it um so like i remember like it's it it was so just so drastically different um and then by the time that droughts started going i was just on this like other end of music where like we were playing in garages and basements and like i'm like hesitant to call like the diy tag to us but like i mean those were the shows we were playing we didn't really care like everything about what droughts is and does we just like kind of do things when we want to do things which mm-hmm. is like maybe not to our benefit um because people are constantly like oh i thought you guys broke up it's like no we just like don't post on social because like why um <laughs> but 
like we were you know in that like diy culture and then like that's where we met a lot of like our our friends and a lot of the people that we like came really close with man this is like i'm on a whole nostalgia trip now because like i would say like the early days of droughts were like just so much fun to be a band existing in chicago like around all those people us being really close with native and playing shows with native and like I remember like the first time like Bobby came up and was like, dude, I, I love you guys. I was like, Bobby from native just like told me he liked my band. Like, whoa. Um, Cause like native was like a really like big band in Chicago. Um, like I'm really good friends with Eric Chaya who's in dowsing. Um, so that was like, it was so cool. And then like so many cool DIY houses. I'm sure like every iteration of like Chicago DIY has like all of their stories, but you know, like that was like the heyday of like all these houses that existed that um, I think people here really loved and enjoyed that we like kind of got to be a part of. And I also just think that like that era of droughts is like like the, the portion of like what is getting us streams because that's like we met the William Bonnie guys, which like it's really funny because like we, we get this like screamo tag with us all the time. And like I listen to our stuff and then I listen to screamo. I'm like, I don't yeah, sure. You guys can call it whatever you want. I don't care. I feel like that's more like a commentary on how loud you guys are in person. Like one of the most like defining qualities of like Screamo shows, at least from my sort of like outsider experience is like the sheer density of the sound. And of course you guys have this sort of like extended harmonic techniques that I think appeal to the same audience as well. But like that like huge bass tone, you know, we are and, a loud band. We yeah. are a very loud band. There have been so many times we've like played venue shows and like the sound guy is like, you need to turn down. And I like get a little militant to like Nick and Will. And then I just see like Will like turn around and just like touch a knob, but like not do <laughs> anything. And then like you just kind of see the sound guy just kind of be like, well, fuck the. I'm just turning off the mics and you guys are just room volume. You know, I think that like, and, and bass wise, I just want to be loud because I think there's nothing more impactful than seeing a loud, heavy band and like having that bass tone, like hit you, like you, mm. you like feel that shit, like in your chest. Like I, I think that's like, like some of the things as a, as a kid growing up seeing bands and like feeling like the bass hit you like that. Like, I feel like there's just, I don't know, there's something like powerful that like just resonates with me. And I just like, I want to be fucking loud. <laughs> so if you weren't thinking of yourself as Screamo, like what was the intention with droughts? Like what kind of music were you trying to make with the early drought stuff? Oh man, this is going to sound so silly. Uh, I, <laughs> I always just thought we were like Thursday. <laughs> Mm -hmm. okay. I was just yeah. like, oh, we're like Thursday. Like I can sing, but can't really sing, but I can kind of like pull it off. And, and but, like, I'm, I'm going to yell. I've always wanted to be in a metalcore band, man. If Will ever listens to this, he's going to like hate everything I say about the band. Um, <laughs> but like, I always thought we were doing this like very early two thousands post hardcore thing. You know, I, you know, I didn't think it was really like screamo esque. Uh, and certainly not like the newer incarnations of like the scrams movement. I never really thought we were kind of uh, referencing that type of stuff. Like I always thought we were falling more in line with like these arms are snakes and 
like Thursday and kind of those bands kind of doing that thing. Um, and less yeah, like more of a 2000 sound than a nineties sound. Well, I mean, I, I even feel like we have like strong, like ties to kind of like the nineties post rock, maybe emo stuff. I think there's like, there's definitely some influence barred from that, but like, I don't really see, I don't like the bands that you think of like screen, like Sasha and like that stuff. Like, I don't really see, I'm going to get canceled so hard, but I don't really, I like listen to some screamo, but like, I don't listen to a lot of screamo. So like what, so like Sasha and like page 99 and um, like that, like, I don't really feel we sound like that or like, right. or like that's what we're attempting to do. And I just like straight up, like the way I play bass and like the way I like phrase vocals, I very much just think I'm just trying to play metalcore. <laughs> so like <laughs> or like there there are moments like the way that the way that bobby played bass and like phrased his like vocal lines and native i always like really liked um so i always felt like super inspired by like hearing like how he played bass especially in like the earlier native stuff it was just such a unique take for me on like having bass be more of like a I don't know. I just come from like shitty backgrounds in music that like bass was always just following what the guitars were doing, but he was doing this like new thing that felt like thicker and fuller um, that it, w- it was just kind of like a thing that I really liked a bunch. Um, so what did you go to college for? Did you go for graphic design or? Yeah. So I, oh man, I took six years to get an art degree. Uh, I went to Columbia college for, and I was like planning on going there, but I went for, I went for design got a year through and then um, they wouldn't give me enough financial aid to continue going. I like my family was like very like middle, middle class, like somewhere near like Malcolm in the middle style, middle class, maybe like, like right around that ballpark. Like mm-hmm. the, like there's so many scenes from the show that like resonated with me, like the leftover, like grab bag at the end of the week. It was like, Oh, leftovers again. Great. Um, but like, so I didn't like getting funding for school and like paying, it was like all on my own. Um, I just couldn't afford to go to Columbia. So I took a year off and went to junior college, um, just so I could stay active on financial aid and get like gen ed stuff out of the way. Um, and then transferred to UIC because since it was a state school, I could get more federal funding to actually attend, but did design school there. However, you just have to be there for four years. Um, so yeah, I, I graduated in graphic design and then like, so fortunately uh, the place I was interning at was able to start a career there, which is, I feel kind of guilty. Cause I feel like because of me and like my, just like, I I'm going to school, I'm going to have a design career. Like I was more unwilling to tour than I think the rest of the band was. Cause I was like, I mean, we tried to do the best that we could with like that, but I was definitely like, I'm not like quitting my job. I like, I like want to be a designer. I want to do this as a like career, but yeah. So um, I went to school for graphic design, worked professionally as a designer and currently work at an ad agency. And I make, I make things for brands that people know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've seen some of your stuff up in Times Square. I'm familiar, you know? 
how did you get into doing design? Was that something that you found through music or was that like a wholly separate part of your life or what was the, your origin story for that? You know, in my head, um, I'm just the next Jacob Bannon, uh, <laughs> like being in a loud, heavy band that people love and also love my artwork and then shit's tattooed on everybody's body. I don't like, I just loved album artwork and, you know, being a 14 year old getting super into music and seeing album artwork, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make the visual packaging. I'm going to make the music that's on this. Like I'm going to like all of these things I'm going to produce. Um, so what were the covers that like grabbed your imagination as a kid? Was it just like the converge stuff or was it uh, like, shit? Oh. Like you fail me. I, my favorites of the time were you fail me. Oh God, the aftermath. Thursday's album artwork for although it's like simple was like still so much like thrice I really like the thrice album artwork fuck I under I really liked under oath's album artwork like a lot no Uh, they've got really really good design like regardless of what you think of that band's music like it looks awesome under oath is a top five band for me I like won't Ah, even lie about that (laughs) I my I I have no problem like I have no problem repping the bands that I love, but uh, yeah I would say like Norma Jean's Oh God the Aftermath like really did something for me like looking that and flipping through it there was a band oh God what is their name uh, Dead Poetic okay not familiar uh, they were they were a two I think they were on Tooth and Nail and or Solid State not really sure. But um, that dude is actually the the singer or somebody in that band, I think it's a singer, is a professional designer and like does artwork for so many fucking bands now. Like, and is still actively and professionally doing design. But like finding that out, I was like in love. I Yeah, I would say like the big two that stand out are, are Converge and Norma Jean's art. And so how, like when you were going to school, was it with the design, with the, the idea of like learning skills to apply, like, were you already making people's album art before you went to school? Was that something that you were doing on your own? Like what, how did you, the, you develop those skills? Um, very poorly. Yes. I was, I was practicing. Oh man. I like found an old hard drive of shit while I was in college. So all my bands, I've done all of the artwork. The, and it was really funny. So when I when I started Mush with Eric and uh, our other guitarist Gino, eventually Andy Hendricks, who's in Annabelle and What Gives, and a few other bands, he it was the first time I was in a band with another graphic designer. Mm-hmm. So part of me was like, oh fuck, thank God I like don't have to do all this myself. But then the other part was like, oh this is like competition now. Like who, like. And, and Andy is such a fucking incredible designer too. I it was partially like, uh, you're going to do a better job than me. Um, well, you did some of the mush stuff, right? I've done, I would say me and Andy kind of split it fairly equally. Um, I did the, our, our LP art and the, the EP art. And then he's done like a bunch of the shirts and then he helped out on the LP and like some other stuff, I would say we like pretty equally split kind of that. Um, mm-hmm. But all the drought stuff I do, uh, we actually like had, we paid another artist to do one shirt for us. And that was like a really big moment for me. I was like giving up control. But yeah, I did some album artwork for bands 
I look at it now and I'm just like so embarrassed by it. It's like, it's just not good. I like won't show people unless I'm like maybe a little drunk and like want to laugh at myself a little bit, but <laughs> I've like hidden it from the internet. It's yeah. There's some rough stuff. I, I can relate. I feel that way about a lot of my early music and early writing. So Oh God! Nope. I am like, I'm so happy MySpace got deleted and no one can hear <laughs> Ferrison. It's, you know, I, I don't think anyone's first band is great. It, I, yeah, it's not good. I've even listening to like old demos of stuff that I've recorded on my own. I'm like, Oh, I thought this was, I thought I had it for a moment. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm glad I never put it this anywhere. I'm glad you brought up Mush, though. I was wondering about how that band came together. How did that band start? I actually played drums in that to start, which was really funny. I I think, like, me and Eric and Gino just, like, wanted to start a band. So we started, like, Gino played guitar. Eric was going to sing. Because this was, like, Eric had dowsing. He has pet symmetry. He was like, I just want to sing in a band. I don't want to, like, play an instrument. We're like, Mm -hmm. cool. Um, And then we had... Adam Vass was playing bass in it when we first started, um, which was really funny and caused some mild drama because uh, I'll get to that story. But um, I, I, we just like wanted to play music together. I've always wanted to like do a band with Eric. So yeah, I was playing drums and then we had a, another person playing guitar for a bit. Nina, she is in an awesome screamo band in Chicago, but uh you know, through a bunch of changes, I ended up not playing drums, moved to guitar. Um, and then Andy came in to play drums, but our very first show was us opening for a lot of spute in Grand Rapids. How did you manage and, that? Cause that's like a huge get, I feel like for your first show. It was, they played, it's their hometown show. They played two shows back to back at one of Grand Rapids largest venues. And they both sold out like, well in advance of the shows adam and i so adam to my knowledge adam picks all of the opening acts for the bands or for for a lot of dispute shows and tours and he like runs it by the rest of the band and their management um and he at some point told me that his whole thing so long story short we ended up on that show because of adam adam was like yeah i'm gonna have my my other band open for my main band we're like that's fine and and I that like pissed off a lot of people. <laughs> they were like, this no name band is only playing this show because Adam plays bass in this band too. And Adam like didn't Adam didn't care. He was like, because his whole point was, uh, this show is gonna sell out regardless of who fucking opens this. Like, no one cares about Mush. They're literally here to watch a lot of dispute. And like he was right. Like they could have not put an opener on either one of those shows. I actually. I think that went on sale before they even announced openers. I think they, I think it was sold out and then they announced who was opening the shows. So yeah, like people were super pissed off, but his whole thing was that any band that they book as an opener has to either have people of color, uh, non-straight, non-cis people or non-men. So like women or um, genderqueer individuals. So like, he felt fine putting us up for the show because we have a person of color in the band and then we have a queer part. Well, I think I'm the only queer person. Yeah. I'm the only queer person. So he was like, you know, you guys like mush fits the criteria of how we book 
openers and i was like i was fine with that <laughs> i was like yeah you can use my queerness to put us on this show it was I, it was fun i don't know that was like a totally i i totally understand we only were on that show because adam adam's in lana's pute and he was like i'm putting my other smaller band on this i was like yeah man i'm for it so you mentioned that there was some drama or some there was a story involving Adam oh no it was just with that show like people were like we were watching the comments just on this show about like how a no-name band got on this show opening for law dispute and oh well adam's in that band that's the only reason and it's like yeah man you like put two and two together i'm glad we're all on the <laughs> same page now. like people were like making it into this like insidious thing but like it was like there wasn't no hiding it it was just like right. yeah well, welcome. You understand how this happened now. Welcome to the music industry. Yeah, know? it was just—I don't know, but like, it was—it was funny. I mean, at some point, I know former Laminiforms guitarist Logan Bloom joined the band as well. He's our um, when Adam. So La Dispute. I mean, it's it's La Dispute. They're a big fucking band, and they tour all the time. Like, it was just too much for Adam to be coming to Chicago. And trying to like, he he got a dog, he has a girlfriend, and to like come and travel to Chicago to like do things with Mush, like we are no one. And when you have a band that just like is your livelihood, you know, rightfully so, all of his attention should be going to his career as being in La Dispute. So he just kind of like called us and he was like, Hey guys, like this is really stressful for me. And like, it's a lot to like travel back and forth between Grand Rapids and, and coming to Chicago. Like, I think I need to like bow out and I don't want to hold you back on like wanting to play a show because I have a lot of, and it's like, yeah, man, like I get it. Why would you cancel a lot of speed? Or like, why would, why would that even be in your head? Like, of course, go do the lot of speed thing. Um, and then we like tossed around some names and we couldn't get it together before recording. So Matt Frank, the guy who recorded us ended up doing all the bass on the album. But yeah, we asked Logan cause we fucking love the guy and he is just like the nicest person in the world. Mm-hmm. And he just like, he's learns a really super fast, you know? Yeah. He yeah. learns fast. He's a really fucking good musician. Like at some point I had this moment where I'm like, I'm the worst musician in this band. Like, like I'm standing next to Logan, who's like really fucking good at guitar. Gino is really fucking good at guitar. I'm like, Andy's an amazing drummer. I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, I'm like, I'm that weakest link in this band. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's funny. I, you know, I don't try to pretend to be a guitarist who can solo and play all these crazy, like, sweeping riffs so you know know your lane and stick to it precisely yeah (laughs) so one of the things i wanted to talk about was like the design philosophy for mush because it seems like very self-conscious and very much it like makes sense now that i know that there are two design guys in the band because it's almost like kind of ironic self-aware like do you listen to, I'm sure like there is that like 99% invisible episode about like the Toronto, like brandless, you know, yeah. design. And it feels like mush are kind of in the same world. So like, this is an album cover, you know, that sort of thing. It started, I don't know how, I think we were just like at practice and just like joking. And it was when Adam was still in the band 
it was all sparked because Eric was like editing a photo for Instagram or something. And I was like next to him and he was like, how does this photo look like is does do the colors look off? I was like, no, that looks like that looks like what you would post on Instagram. Like do what you need to do, protect your brand. And he just like, like the thing with Eric is, is that when you say something that he like really enjoys, he just like remembers it and latches onto it. So the next mm-hmm. conversation came, he's like, yeah, we're going to name this protect your brand. And then like, it just like after dumb idea, after dumb idea, it just turned into this, like, we are presenting ourselves as like a marketing agency to show bands how to do this because like it, it got to this like really like meta critique level of just like jokes within the group because like all these bands were trying to like be this presentation of a thing that they're not but they had to because like they're trying to sell what they are um and we just thought that was like really fucking funny and so why not make a band whose whole thing is just like this self-referential marketing motif um Mm -hmm. so it started it it just started with a dumb joke that just like spiraled and then when it came time for the album artwork we just got into so many fights over what it was going to be and what it was going to look like we had like very serious looking things that were like presenting us as like a, a real band that was like being serious about their art and then we had like this other stuff um that was like maybe a little bit more playful or illustrative. And then at some point I texted uh, my friend Deanna, who's in a very awesome band, Sincere Engineer. Um, She does these like little iPhone doodles that are just like really fucking funny. And at some point the idea of like having a mailbox, because Eric had a lot of things about like just being like growing up and moving to the suburbs, so I was like, oh, well, like mailboxes, like the, like in front of your house on a wooden stake in the mailbox thing, like that only exists in the suburbs. So like, I'm just going to have Deanna draw this like silly little mailbox and then put like our little MU symbol on it. Um, mm-hmm. So I like literally was just texting her like, hey, can you draw us a mailbox? And she's like, yeah, like, what is it for? I was like, oh, it's for the Mush album artwork. We're calling it. Thank you. We're Mush which was also just another extension of a joke. And she's like, okay, well, like, I'll spend some time with it. And I literally just went, like, don't spend time on it. It could be shitty. And then I was, like, looking at this text message. I was like, this is the album artwork. It says our band name. (laughs) It says the album name. And it's, like, this, like, weird, like, like, working in the ad industry, you see, like, how quickly things just happen. And then, like... Uh Like, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, an ad or something, and you're like, why did they make that decision? It's because it was, like, a literally, like, we need a decision, and someone just had to make it. So I was like, fuck it. Like, all right. so I, like, did this mock-up of the phone and the text message, and everybody, like, loved it, except for Gino. Gino was like, I fucking hate this. Like, <laughs> this sucks. I don't like this. Um, and he got, like, like really, like he was not happy about it. He's like, I'm not having a band that like an iPhone mock-up with this shitty text is like our album art. Like I'm not doing this. Um, And then I don't know what happened, but at some point he just like came around to the idea and then like loved it. And then just like everything is just like how like dumb jokes in my head or like in our own heads that we think are funny. 
So the back of the album art is literally just the back of the phone. And then we replace the Apple logo with our like little MU symbol. I just, it's just like jokes upon jokes. At some point we were going to launch a cryptocurrency called Mushcoin that like, (laughs) we like, we came so close to doing it and then just, we just couldn't get it together. Uh, We recorded an EP in lockdown and for anyone listening, I'm just going to like mask down on this. No, I can't actually give this away before we release it. If it would get you in trouble to talk about any of this stuff, I'm happy to change subjects. Oh, no, we're good. We'll just like, we'll move on. People will hear it and soon. And I, it's going to, that I think is going to be put out by Skeletal Lightning. I think we're just like waiting for calendars to sync up to figure out when we can actually put it out. But I was going to ask, like having now worked professionally in graphic design and working for an ad agency has that changed the way that you approach the more like personal creative projects on for your own work yeah i it well it depends i feel like when uh it comes time for actually no i don't think it has Mm. i would say for like other i it's made me better at like doing freelance work so um i'm doing stuff for sincere engineer and like being able to pitch like ideas to her and her label like working in the ad industry has definitely helped a lot in that for my own bands i still just kind of steamroll i'm just like we're doing this mush it's it's fine because like we talk about stuff and just it's it's easier droughts is a little bit harder um i think nick is just kind of generally happy with everything Bill, our drummer, doesn't, I don't think, cares as much about the visual stuff as he does about the music stuff. The hard one is Will, because, like, Will's, Will's like a silent, um... Silent judger. I don't want to call him judgy, because I think he, like, his, like, opinions are totally valid, and I, it, like, sometimes, I get super defensive sometimes with him, because I'm like, this is my, like, precious art. So I... But then, like, after thinking on it, I'm like, okay, like, you're kind of a little right. But Will has just, like, such an incredibly high taste level. And, like, I think a high bar, I I think he sets a really high bar for, for droughts and, and things related to it. Because, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, you want to be proud of what you put out. But then, not only that, like, it's fine to be proud when you put it out, like, right then and there. But having some longevity behind the, like oh, I put this thing out. I'm like really proud of the work that we've done for it. So Will definitely like challenges and pushes. And I, I think I I retool a little bit on how I like present ideas to him. So sometimes he gets like super unfiltered, like visual nonsense thrown at him. And then other times I'll like really kind of spend some time to like pitch to him almost. Usually the like nonsensical, like I'm throwing everything at you goes way better than like when I have an idea and I like work on it and pitch it to him. He's immediately like, I don't like that. I'm like, damn, I spent time on that. <laughs> and then like I launched the, my solo thing at the beginning of this year, like that, I just literally do whatever I want. And like, I've, I sent, I don't know. I feel like every musician's like super doubtful over the work that they do. So I, I send it to people to kind of like, ground me and be like i need i like really need to tell you i really need you to tell me if this sucks or not and like it typically ends up being will get stuff uh and then like i show my partner and it's funny so i'm like i'm i'm working i had this idea where i was like i want to put an ep out 
like every season. So it works out to be like every three months this year. And which was like such a stupid undertaking. Cause we're like, with two kids trying to record that many songs is, and write them is like crazy. But I, I did, I did like a new thing on a song and I like showed it to my partner and she was like, I don't know if I like this. And I was like, do you not like it? Or do you think it sucks? She's like, I just don't think I like it. Like it's, I don't know. And uh, I sent it to Will and Will's like, oh, I get like why she doesn't like it, but I I like it. This is like interesting. This is like cool. I was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm putting this, I'm going to put this song out then, which like, it was great. Cause I mean, my partner's very good at grounding my ego. So like I needed, I needed like a little bit of self doubt for that moment. But, uh, and, and also like that kind of helped me push it to a much better place. Cause like, you know, you go back in, like when you can track and record stuff yourself, like you just spend so much time tinkering with things. And sometimes you're like, this is good enough. And you kind of walk away and then you listen to it and you're like, oof, I need to go back to the drawing board with this one. Um, <laughs> and so like, she definitely helped me do that on that song. So yeah, that that's kind of more of a, like, I just do whatever I want. And this is great. Cause it's my own thing. And if I'm paying for it and putting it all out on my own, like, I guess I really don't care if like people don't like it. So when did you start working on the, the solo stuff? Like, how did that come about? I, um, so I was actually working on another EP that I would say is very, it sounds like mush. So it's like in the people in their thirties writing pop punk. And I, I bought a, I got a groove box, uh, like a year and a half Oh shit, 2020, um, like two years ago at this point. So I was like programming all these beats. So it was like kind of that with like electronic drums and like bass and all that with guitar over it. And my intention was to track vocals to like put that out with like me doing everything on it. And like, I don't know, I've never had to track my own vocals. And it turns out when you do that, you like hate your fucking vocals. (laughs) And you're like, I hate my voice. Um, so I like did like two songs. I was like, I fuck this. And my partner's like, what are you having a problem with? Like you were in a band where you sang, like actually sang you're, we're in another band that like you yell and sing in. Like, how do you hate your voice? You know what it sounds like. It's, like, it's a whole different world when you're like having to solo that track and like edit out freak. Like I cannot fucking do this. So then over the summer I built a fence in my backyard and I wanted to put the video on Instagram but it needed like some sort of soundtrack behind it. So I was like, mm-hmm. I have this like ambienty riff, like I'll just record it and track some drum, like ambienty kind of drums. And I would say like my quarantine hobby has been learning uh, electronics. So I've started building my own pedals and I like dove headfirst into like buying pedals. Um, so I've built, probably 20 pedals at this point of like all different types of things i've acquired a bunch of other equipment so i was like this will just be fun to do this like weird ambient track to put under a fucking instagram video um just so people aren't watching this time lapse of me building a fence in silence so i did that and then uh my son i have a he's four months old now but we were around the six week mark and like we just went through a hell week of like not sleeping and just like we were super stressed out and he was like crying all the time and it was just like a really rough emotional time and I like wrote this like riff uh and was playing 
and I was like, oh, I like really like this. And then um, I was like, you know what? I'm going to like, I already did that one ambient song and I like really liked the process of doing that. I was like, I should just, I should just do my own thing and just like track a bunch of these riffs that I've kind of been noodling around with for months and just kind of like make something of it because you know, I think the thing you learn getting older is like, you have a lot of ideas, but like, it's great to have that stuff and to like create things for your own, but it never becomes real unless you like put it somewhere or like at least tell people you're doing it. So I kind of at the end of like uh, October, November, December, I just tracked seven songs and I was like pretty proud of it. So I was like, cool, I'm going to, I'm going to like put this on Spotify. Like it's great. I can put this on Bandcamp, but like, you know, I'm going to make this a thing. I'm going to like, I want to like put this out there and like publicly do this thing. And then I just kind of like, I didn't want to like create all these like band accounts or like design accounts. So I just kind of like folded everything under my like already existing socials. Cause in my head, like me as an artist, it's like visual, it's sonic like music stuff, but all of that is like coming from me. So I feel like there's no need to like separate music from the visual stuff that I do from like my family life from like the dumb like me building pedals to the dumb things that I'm building at my house like all of that is like me so I just like branded it under this like unproductive moniker which is a thing is is like a thing that I've been doing since like 2012 for art stuff Mm -hmm. like it started as like a tumblr um because And this is so fucked up. I was like two years into my career professionally and I was like already feeling like I was stalling, like I wasn't getting better at being a designer. So I started this Tumblr where it was like a daily, it started off as a daily thing. And then anyone who's ever done a daily exercise realizes like that's not feasible. So it turned into like a weekly thing. Um, But it was just to like create something because you only get better with practice. So it was just to like create a piece of design work and to just like continue and pushing it because I felt that I was being unproductive in my design career. So this was a way to like reinvigorate and make myself productive. So I just, I just liked that name enough that I've just kept it since 2012. And then because I, it's crazy how like decisions, like dumb decisions that you make, like I couldn't get a URL that said unproductive so I ended up dropping the vowels from it because right. that's Classic. what you do when you like have to get a URL. So I like dropped all the vowels. So it's just the UN and then productive with no vowels. But yeah, I just decided to, I like that name enough that I didn't want to like come up with a new name for the music stuff. So I've just, I branded it all under that. So I'm also working on kind of developing my own circuits for pedals. So like that will probably be branded under this as well. Um, all my visual kind of work is also under that. I just, I, it feels weird to me to like separate out kind of different avenues of my life when they're all coming from me. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just makes sense to kind of keep it all, all with that name. But yeah. It strikes me that like the process of trying to break out of a creative rut with your design work early in your career And then getting to this point where, you know, you were eight months or however long into quarantine by that point. And, you know, I imagine that it was pretty difficult. I mean, like the uh, the mush stuff that you talked about aside, like 
remaining creative and remaining productive with music also very difficult during lockdown. So it seems like this is almost its own way of breaking a sort of musically creative rut. Um, yeah. So were you writing this stuff fairly quickly? Like what's your, what's your writing process for the instrumental stuff that you're putting out? So some things come, I feel like every, I feel like every musician will relate. like some ideas just come to you and they just like, Mm -hmm. they just come and they get down and you're like, I fucking love this. And it's, you're done in like two days. And then other things you just like, it feels like it's such a chore to just get it to a place where you are happy with it. So, you know, it really depends. I, the way I track uh, this stuff, especially is I'll usually have like a main riff and I'll have, I'll have that like main riff and then usually some like other kind of chord progressions around that riff. And I basically go in and I track it to a click track and then I listen to it a bunch of times to kind of like get a vague idea of like how I want it like percussion to match with it. And then it just becomes an experimentation process where I like try to filter that through a bunch of different effects pedals and just a duff, just a bunch of different ways to get kind of a, a thing. So the uh, I did a really bad job like publishing all of this. So the very first EP that I put out for Unproductive, um, the whole thing behind that was that every song except for one is actually using the same drum track. So it is hmm. the same pattern the entire song for six of the seven songs. And the only thing that changes is that I just run them. I just route it through different pedals. So yeah, this, but like it's playing the exact same thing. And I like to, you know, you change the tempo to get it to match with the song, but it's literally the same drum beat. And I, I got this pedal. It's the hologram electronics microcosm, which is this like crazy, like granular delay pedal, but like does so much. But one of the effects, it basically chops up and reorganizes the input of it and then spits out something different but you could also have it it'll like play in double or quadruple or half time but then we'll also pitch up and pitch down things so i was using that on a couple of drum tracks basically like pull in this one drum track but what it like came out sounded so different so the whole thing with that was like this constraint of like i only want to use this one drum track and like I will write these songs and like how can I how can I take this thing that is like so sonically assertive that like how can I make that sound so drastically different song to song to where you can't even tell it's the same drum track. Um mm-hmm. so like that was kind of the whole thing around that. And a lot of it was just kind of I spend so much time doing this stuff that I a lot of decisions are are merely happy accidents. I mean, like curated happy accidents. There's some like really like ugly things that happen that you're like, I'm not keeping that. Um, but like, you know, when you spend enough time like doing stuff, um, when you like do have a mistake and you're like, oh, that's that's a good mistake. So yeah, I basically like track the main riff to a click track uh, and then we'll throw drums down and then like retrack guitar. Um, and then I just kind of like build it up as I go. Um, so there's a lot of listening and re-listening and then like shifting stuff around. There's a lot of like doing something that I like and then like realizing it doesn't fit and deleting it. Um, so the songs are in a very fluid state of evolving basically until I think it's done. 
So it's, I don't think it's very, um, it's very unproductive <laughs> because it's just like, I, you know, it takes a lot longer, but it, you know, I, I mean, even like visual art, that's just like how I work is that I feel like the process of going through kind of that exploration gets you to your end product and like your end thing that you want to put out. So yeah, it's, it's definitely like a long walk in the park and a lot of deleting and then undoing and then trying to undo so many steps that your computer actually won't undo that far. And then you're like, well, I don't remember what I played. So I guess we're not doing that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's not a very pretty process, but it's, I don't know. It's all enjoyable to me. You mentioned that you're doing this series of EPs, like one for each season. Do you also see yourself putting different creative constraints along the same lines as like using the same drum pattern? Like what do you imagine yourself putting similar roadblocks in front of yourself for each EP? Yeah, I'm I'm not entirely sure. So the drum track thing evolved to being that, like that evolved to becoming the constraint for the entire thing. When I started writing that, that was not like a thing. It was just that it honestly, God, this, I feel like when the curtain drops with musicians, like people realize how much of it is kind of bullshit, but I have no problem embodying that. It basically, when I got to the second track, I was just too lazy and didn't want to do another. I didn't want like to program drums I, so I have an MC-101 from Roland. It's a groove box that has, like, drums, synths, all these, like, sounds in it. I was just too lazy to, like, have to program drums again. But I was like, how can I just, like, fake this? How can I make these drums sound different? Because <laughs> I'm, like, not fucking doing that again. Work smarter, so, like, not harder, I feel. Right. Like. <laughs> it was, well, yeah. So it was like, what pedals can I run this through? Like, what delays, what reverb, what fucking weird modulation shit can I put on this to just make it sound like a different drum track? And then when I, like, finished that song and I was starting the third, fourth, and fifth, I kind of, like, worked in pieces. I was like, oh, that was, like, kind of cool and worked pretty well. I'm just going to see if I could do that on more songs. Like, like how far can I push this idea that was, like, born out of just me being lazy like how far can i push this into a thing so with these eps originally i was gonna have them revolving around moments in time and i quickly realized that's like tacky uh because i i like hate that i'm admitting so many things uh i was gonna do it based on moments of things that were happening so i mean this year was just like the insurrection the uh biden inauguration i got super heavily involved in berwin's local elections um so i was volunteering for a campaign so it was like and then also had was just like i had a lot of like hatred targeted me for working on this campaign like it just got like super toxic so i started writing these things with that and then realized really quickly that like writing a song that's revolving around your emotions of the insurrection was one like a oddly privileged stupid thing to try to do but then also like the last thing i wanted to hear were people's songs about being in quarantine and i like literally just did that about the insurrection i was like 
oh this is so tacky and so like you can't so i like once i was like we were into february and i like started i was just like i can't fucking do this like that's like this is just it was it felt like low-hanging fruit to me that was like Mm -hmm. not good um because like who the fuck wants to hear a song like who and it's all instrumental so it's like my emotional response to the insurrection but like that's so it just so it sounds so lame that i just i i trash that so as of right now there is no kind of like big grand concept behind the first one but i don't know i something might actually evolve into something and then i'll go back and retrack based on that but yeah we'll see how does this like experience of writing solo music does it have any friction with like writing material for the other bands that you play in like because i feel like one of the the things that i would imagine would come up is like the idea of like how do i silo this idea like is this idea meant just for unproductive or is it good enough or specific enough for me to like bring up into one of the the larger like collaborative projects so i very smartly and then three very different sounding bands that uh, anything that gets written for one isn't super appropriate for the other. The only thing I do regret is I wrote a song for Mush that we did, we did like a handful of practices. Oh God, maybe uh, it was end of summer where we actually were like writing and we were all in a room together playing and I really wish I would have kept that riff for unproductive. Unproductive mm-hmm. wasn't a thing at the time, but I had this riff that I I like really liked and it totally makes it makes sense for both bands. But that's like the only time I've ever had a like oh, I should have like saved that. But also like it's dumb to save things not knowing like what's going to happen in the future. Like I could have held on to that riff forever and then never did unproductive and then I just like would have had this riff that would have lived and died on my acoustic guitar. Like, mm-hmm. and that like serves no one. So to me, like, I'm not, I mean, if Mush ends up cutting that track, I'm absolutely taking that riff back and like putting it out. Um, but yeah, I, it's fortunate that I'm like in a heavy, like post rock band. And then like the Mush, which is like the indie pop punk thing. And then Unproductive, which is in like a more, uh, album leaf Seagull Ross realm that I think they're like all different enough that there's not too much crossover. And then even like visually, well, I don't really say visual stuff. I feel like that that's easy to like, just kind of like pump stuff out. I, I like, mm-hmm. I feel like after working, I guess maybe musicians are like this way too. Um, who've like been doing it professionally after being a professional designer for 10 years, I feel like I can just kind of like, pump out ideas i mean they're not all good but like i can pump out ideas and then like work to push them to good um that you know and everything's so like pinpointed that yeah i don't really have a problem having this silo stuff so what's what's on the horizon for you at this point you mentioned that you've got there obviously another season if, like at least in new york it feels like the, the other season is like right around the corner at this point oh, um, God. does new york have the like third winter there's like one week in March that inexplicably sucks, but the rest of March is usually like, yeah, you can tell things are getting better. You remember like the Chicago, like the false summer and then like the third winter that like, and you're like, what the <laughs> fuck? Why is it uh, yeah, snowing like, in April? 
the Chicago thing is almost the reverse, which is there's the one nice week in March that convinces you that things are going to like, you're like, it's, up. it's 70 degrees. Um, it so, also, I feel like corresponds entirely with when the like college tours are happening. So like all these people fly yep. in from out of the, from out of Chicago into Chicago, the one week where it's nice. And we're like, Oh yeah, we should totally send our kids here. Yeah. <laughs> and then it, yeah. it gets cold again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a very, that is Midwestern weather. Um, so I have the unproductive EPs that I'm going to do. Um, Mush has an EP that's coming out and I, we're going to start practicing again to write, to finish writing and to record our second LP. Um, droughts. We have not been in a room together since January of 2020. Mm-hmm. which is great like we met up once over the summer and hung out in nick's backyard and otherwise i have not seen them like in person it's like crazy because like we text but um but will has been writing a bunch so we have every intent to at some point get in a room together to i think we can like pretty quickly write our album because he has like pretty much songs fully fleshed out it's just a matter of us like getting everything down, but we are going to track, hopefully track and finish writing our second full length. Um, and then we have a split that I think is still happening um, with another band that we're really excited about. We had like, oh, man, I, I can't even complain about this because other bands have had so much like more bad shit happen to them in 2020 um, and since like we don't really make a living off of droughts, like I really have no place to complain. But I think we're gonna try to. We wanted to do a ten year celebration of of droughts, so we were gonna do this tour with the band in Finn Island, um, and then have like a show in Chicago to be like ten years. So hopefully, I don't think it's gonna happen this year, probably. But at some point on the horizon, I would love if we could. I don't know. I I feel so like silly and like laugh at the fact that this droughts has been going for ten years. Because man, I am one. I was in the closet when droughts started, uh, and like, and just uh, like my life is so drastically different from when we started as a band. And like my point of view on life, that like, you know, I think it would be a fun thing to just kind of celebrate this like weird thing. And I think we like matter enough to certain people that I don't think it's like a wasted effort i don't know i mean shit if you guys come out to new york i'd i'd be first in line for sure like i love that band Uh, my i all right i'm gonna complain about new york every we get so many messages and tweets at us about playing new york like anytime we announce any sort of like series of shows People are always like, why aren't you coming to New York? Like, what? where the fuck is the New York show? We've played New York twice, and they were both terrible shows. <laughs> and and then, like, people complain at us. And it's like, dude, we were literally just... The, like, the last time we were there, we played in Queens. And it was just... It was fucking awful. It was so bad. And then, like, a month later, we announced, like, a weekend that was just in the Midwest. And people are like, why don't you come to New York? It's like, dude, we were just fucking there, like, last month. Like, and none of you showed up. Like, I don't know. Like, and it's not like, it's like, 
more messages than we should be fucking getting from people in New York. So I don't, maybe. <laughs> well, like... I feel like Jersey might be better suited for the style of music. So wherever in the East coast you guys end up, I'll try and make it out. But I will, I, I see that sucks. Cause I love, I like, I like traveling to New York. I don't think I could ever live there, but I like, like, I love going to New York and I've, like I had a lot of fun when we played there because we were Bushwick. Were we in Bushwick? Mm-hmm. Is that in Queens? No. No. Uh, we played at a place in called Queens. Like, you were in Ridgewood, probably. It was very industrial, and we played at a place called like Terra Nova. I think it was what it was called. But it was like the the place where we were felt very deserted, and then you walked like two blocks away, and you were in this like really fucking cool place that had like a bunch of cool bars and restaurants. And we had a great fucking time, like, walking around. And, like, the show was really fucking weird. Uh, and, like, no one was there. And we were supposed to play in, like, the art space that was attached to this restaurant bar. But it was around Halloween. And they were doing some, like, interactive live performance witch thing. So they, like, booted us out of that space. And we ended up playing literally in the corner of this restaurant. They moved tables and like canceled reservations to like have us play in this corner and the sound guy like it was just a bad show and there was like five people there and i felt bad because like there were people who like specifically came to see us at the show we played with this really fucking cool instrumental band though that was from new york maritech do you know them oh, it doesn't ring any bells oh, they were name. they were a fucking real cool band they were like one of my favorite bands that we've ever played a show with and i was just like they made this like really shitty sounding space sound really fucking good. And like, I admire bands who have that talent. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like, wow, we've sounded like we were playing inside of a fucking metal garbage can, but somehow you made this space sound like a fucking opera house. Like I do not get it, but they were, they were cool. They were fucking really cool. How far do you feel like it's off in Chicago? Cause like at this point in New York, it sort of feels like things are beginning to slightly ramp up back into normalcy, but like in terms of like playing shows and shit, it it seems like Chicago is an absolute clusterfuck right now. Oh uh, yeah, I don't think shows will maybe maybe October November. Mm-hmm. I um I was very excited for Riot Fest last year because I was very excited to see My Chemical Romance. <laughs> so part of me hopes that like by September we could festivals could happen. I don't mm-hmm. think that's gonna happen though. Yeah, I would say like November, maybe. I don't know. I didn't think I was going to be at home for a year. I, I can't see shows happening. Probably not until next year. I'm like, we have so many friends that are like announcing, like reannouncing their tours again. And I'm just like, oh, y'all, did you not learn your lesson? Like, <laughs> we don't know what the fuck is going on. I don't, I get it. I get it. everybody like, and they're all bands that are like, much more successful and like actually tour. Um, and I get the eagerness to like, want to get back on the road and I like totally feel for them, but I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. I would rather yeah. people just not be dying from a thing instead of like playing a show. So like, I'm fine. Just like, I'm fine. Not having to put people at risk and, at an unnecessary time. So absolutely. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. 
Well, that pretty much covers it for me. I, I, this has been great. Thank you so much for sharing the time and talking. Uh, can't wait to hear the next EP and all of the other stuff that you you've been working on. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, back thanks to for having me. When you like asked me, I was like, Oh, this is awesome. Like, um, I've done so much artwork for you and this is cool that I get to be on the other <laughs> end of this like project. So this is cool. Yeah. You're, Very... you're finally on the internal part of the podcast and not just making the art on the external part. So it's awesome yeah. to get full circle with that. So, it's great. Uh, I, I'm very yeah. happy that, that you asked them when you can travel and do travel again, if you ever come to Chicago, absolutely, you can come stay in Berwyn with us and <laughs> in the suburbs. Perfect. That's on the way further West. So I might take you up on that. <laughs> Oh yeah, um, I, man, we haven't been in the house long enough to like have bands stay with us. So the only band that stayed here was Infant Island, um, uh-huh. and it's funny because they're, I think they're the oldest person is like twenty six, twenty seven, but they're like they're younger. And uh, the next morning, like we were just hanging out in my living room, and they were just like, one of the guys was like, "Hey, I just like want to tell you this is like the nicest place we've ever stayed," <laughs> and I was like, yep. "Oh yeah, like." You know, like this is, I guess, the benefit of not ever being in a band that tours all the time is like you could just have a house and like have a career, and they're um, clean up the beer cans and all that. Sort he of was, stuff, yeah, right? he was just like, yeah, this is like so weird. Like you're like an adult, like like an adult adult, and I was like, I feel like this is your a nice way of like telling me that I'm old and like <laughs> not with it anymore. But thank you. <laughs> Uh, it was great. We I made them pancakes. We had breakfast. We listened to some records. My daughter came in screaming. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> kids are here. I was like, it's totally fine. Fuck yeah. yeah. Anyways, yeah, you'll so- have a place. That, you'll have a place to crash. So. And and yes, and if you do decide ever to come back to New York, I will make it my personal mission to make sure that you have a good show. So, I will. I want to. I want to be redeemed with New York. So, like, I want to, I want to have a good show there. So, yeah, I'll, we'll we'll definitely, we'll one band will come there. So. Fuck yeah! Cool. Well, I'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. Cool. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you again for listening, and thank you, Joseph, for joining me. You can find Joseph's work at josephclones.com. And I've included his link tree in the show notes, which will direct you to droughts, mush, and unproductive itself. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a good rating and review. And more importantly, send it to someone who you think might enjoy it as well. Also, that news I've been teasing for the last few episodes is set to drop very soon. So please subscribe to my substack, randomreforms.substack.com so you don't miss the latest announcements about what I've got going on. Until next time.